Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of AMA. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm gonna be answering your questions. And by the way, if you ever wanna get one of your questions answered, then email connect at impacttheory.com. That's connect at impacttheory.com and put in the headline or the subject line, I should say, AMA question. That's AMA question in the subject line, and my man Chase we'll pull out the best questions. So submit those, any topic, anything you wanna know about, go ahead and submit those. All right, first question is from Brendan O'Brien. Seth Godin recently pointed out an interesting matter of perception on his podcast, namely that learning to juggle isn't really about learning to keep several balls in the air, it actually starts with learning about how to catch, i.e. if you focus too much on the complex looking end goal, you will miss that it boils down to relatively simple skills. Do you ever apply this type of thinking when beginning to approach a new skill or business problem? And the answer is yes, absolutely. And I think that people oftentimes allow themselves to be overwhelmed by taking in the entire gestalt of a thing, whatever it is that they're trying to get great at, trying to look at it all at once, thinking about how far they're gonna have to go from where they are today in order to accomplish that thing. And I think that is a mistake. I think that you want to be inspired by where you're going to go. I think you want to be inspired by the person that you're going to become in order to pull that off. But I think you need to break it down into very small manageable action items that you can take right now today in order to begin stepping down that road. But like it sounds like Seth is saying, and Seth is brilliant, and basically every word of his mouth can be taken at just face value. The guy is absolutely brilliant at this stuff. I think he's right about breaking it down into smaller goals, focusing on that catching. I've never heard that metaphor before, but I think it's really um, fantastic. So focusing on the very small, simple thing that you have to do, which is simply catch that ball um, and extrapolating that out to the things that you're inevitably gonna have to do. You're inevitably gonna have to learn thousands of little skills that all stack up to be something completely extraordinary and can be utterly transformational in your life and allow you to do something that you never would have believed that you could do. But if you look at that whole big thing, then you're gonna get lost. And I'll give you an example from when we were starting Quest. It was really overwhelming. And looking at where we ended up with hundreds of thousands of square feet, tens of millions of dollars of equipment, 1,400 employees, racks and racks and racks as far as the eye can see of ingredients, it was pretty crazy. And I think that that would have been really, really overwhelming 
had we known that going into it. And I'm not sure that we would have had the guts, quite frankly, to go forward with it if we'd really known what it was gonna be like. So it was much better to just focus on the very simple steps. Like in the beginning, what do we need to make those first bars? Rolling pins, a few ingredients, uh, and that was manageable. And then as you scale, it's just one foot in front of the other until you're at the scene that I just described. Uh, the same thing is happening here at Impact Theory. You know, when we're trying to take on Disney and build a media studio of that size to really think about about taking over Bob Iger's position as of right now today, uh, that would be terrifying. But if you break it down into those smaller steps of what you need to do to get the first comic book out, what you need to do to begin building those relationships that will ultimately all snowball into being a studio of that size, then it becomes very manageable to think about those small steps. So um, I always focus on how exciting it is at the concept of becoming and doing those things, knowing that I will figure them out along the way. That is a guarantee. I just believe that about myself. I believe that any human being can learn whatever they set their mind to. And as long as I'm willing to believe that I can learn, then I'm just excited by that gigantic outcome and I'm not paralyzed by it. So I invite you guys to adopt that same mentality. Next up, Ben M. Hi Tom, I'm 26 and have an incurable autoimmune thyroid condition that has caused very low energy and constant mental fog for half my life. This is despite medication and a decade of strict diet, exercise, supplementation, and sleep. I found success in life and work due to sheer willpower and grit, but there's much more that I could achieve if I just had your energy. Do you have any advice for the people out there doing everything right but are held back by their biology. Yes, definitely. So first of all, I just want to acknowledge, thank you so much for asking this question. This is really interesting and I've not been asked a question with this level of specificity uh, in a long time and I always love these kinds of questions. So thank you for your vulnerability and for sharing that. It is truly, truly appreciated. So here is my advice. My mom actually has a, a thyroid condition. And so when I say that I empathize with you, I empathize, man. I totally get it. And I've watched her struggle with this. And it is tremendously difficult to generate that energy, to get the medications right, to do the things that are right on the diet, all of that. I fully want to acknowledge that if you've had any kind of success in your life, that that's just really extraordinary. I know how much effort it takes to push past that and to chase something that you really want. So first of all, I just want to say, Beyond that, acknowledging how difficult this is for you. Second, to remember that the thing to focus on is fulfillment. What fills you with joy? What's giving you some of that energy? Instead of just being sheer tenacity, sheer grit and will, make sure that you're doing something that really brings you joy and pleasure. So one thing that can exacerbate a thyroid condition, one thing that can exacerbate any condition that has to do with generating energy is that, is really making sure that you love what you're doing, that it's not stressing you out, it's not spiking your anxiety level, which will just spiral you out of control, make it even harder for your immune system to work. It will make it even harder for your mitochondria to be healthy. So you can damage your mitochondria with too much stress, just as you can let them atrophy with not enough stress. So you're gonna have to be really careful to balance that out, to walk that line, to make sure that you're doing things that are creatively fulfilling, make sure that there's something that you love, that you get that sort of intangible energy out of just being thrilled by the things that you're doing. And I think you, more than anybody, is really gonna have to pay attention to fulfillment, to making sure that what you're doing is giving you emotional energy, even if your levels of ATP remain at that very difficult to manufacture standpoint. So uh, really, really focus on that. Now, the other part of this that I'm going to say, having fully acknowledged that you are up against the eight ball, that this is brutally difficult for you in a way that it simply will not be for most people, always remain open 
to the fact that there is new information coming out every day and new things for you to try. There's nothing more heartbreaking to me than somebody who has a condition like yours that becomes an expert in it and thusly begins to shut doors and they're no longer experimenting or trying new things or looking at new things that are coming out. And this is in no way, shape or form to say that you've not played this game amazingly in terms of optimizing your health. But if it were me, I would go in every day looking for ways that my current level of expertise is just flat wrong. And that comes from a place of optimism because I want to solve the problem. I want to transcend it and trust me, I get it. It is so hard to have faces, I'm sure you've been dealing with this for decades, to have tried a million things for decades and to have to put more energy into trying new things that will probably have the same lame results as everything that you've tried up to now. And yet, you still have to have that optimism to come into each of these things and do that. And if you can do that, because I really believe that there is a solution out there. So if you stay open, and you stay hungry for there to be new information, for there to be new things to try, new experts to ping and try to get their advice and to try new protocols, um, I think that that will really serve you well. When I think, so one, this is almost certainly massively influenced by your microbiome, and when I think about how misunderstood the microbiome still is today, let alone 10 years, let alone 20 years, depending on how long you've been on this journey, that there may be things that you can still deal with and try that even if it's just incremental improvement that may help. So, sorry, I would be remiss not to at least point that out and really encourage you to every day, no matter how many doors have been slammed in your face, no matter how many things you've tried that have not worked out, to keep going. Too many amazing people. Einstein said it, Thomas Edison said it, and if I'm not mistaken, Steve Jobs said a variation of it, that there's nothing that incredible about me. I just keep going. And when everybody else gives up, I keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And uh, Thomas Edison, what was it, 10,000 uh, tries before he finally got the light bulb to work. Uh, so I would encourage you to stay optimistic and to keep trying new things. Uh, there's so many revolutions going on right now in the field of medicine um, that I'm optimistic that you can do something that will help you generate that biological level of energy. But barring that, all the things that I said in the beginning. All right. Jan Orsig. I'm in a 14-year relationship, and now we're both 30, thinking about kids and security, which I can handle, but I'm also a musician who needs more time for my musical identity. What should I do? I'm gonna give you the best advice you are ever going to get on having kids. And it is the same advice that was given to me, and this, when I heard this advice, I said, I'm almost certain this is the best advice I'm ever going to receive on having kids. So here it is. Drum roll, please. Have kids, don't have kids. It doesn't matter. But whatever you choose, do it all the way. So if you wanna have kids, go into it knowing that it is absolutely going to take time away from your music, that it is absolutely going to mandate that you make more money to be able to support your children and to give them the kind of life that you want to give them. And know that you will have an overwhelming sense of obligation to provide for them that nature ensures that you're going to feel. So even if you don't feel that now, let me make you a grand promise. You will feel that when you have those kids. So if you do that, there 
there is a world of beauty and wonderment that awaits you and you need only speak to one parent to get it that they really are fundamentally changed by having that child and that there is a deep level of fulfillment and connection and love that happens when you have kids. And so if you want that in your life, there will be rewards aplenty for you. Now on the other hand, if you don't want that and you don't want something that takes away from your music, then don't have kids and go into it knowing that it gives you a level of flexibility that you can then pursue the music. You don't have to make as much money. Suddenly security looks very different than if you have kids. And going down that path, you're going to be able to indulge in that. You're going to be able to take risks and chances that you wouldn't otherwise let yourself take, even if just sort of objectively you could take them still with a kid. Most people don't. So going down that path, fall in love with that, find your level of fulfillment from that, and if you love it that much, there is no moral imperative to have children. So Lisa and I have decided not to have kids and to go down the path of finding our fulfillment in other ways, and it has been insanely rewarding for us, and we love it. And it all came from that piece of advice that I knew whatever I was going to do, I needed to do it all the way. And so I knew for me, giving up my ambitions in business and the impact that I want to have on the world to go all in on being an amazing parent and to not be conflicted and to raise my kids. And, and that doesn't mean that that's all I do. It doesn't mean that I had to be a stay-at-home dad. You can absolutely work. But there comes a point where it really does come down to balance and finding a way to support them and give them a life that um, you're proud of and that makes you feel good that you're taking care of your kids. But it does mean that you need to spend time with your kids. And so I know that that is not a level of balance that I want, that my ambitions are the things that fuel me and they give me so much joy and a deep and profound sense of fulfillment. So I knew if I was gonna go all in on one, that I would rather go all in on the entrepreneur side of building my career, of trying to have tremendous impact in the world that would just be ultimately more fulfilling for me um, than balance. Because again, I'm not saying that being a parent means that you can't have a career and it doesn't mean that you can't have an amazing career. Um, but I know for me that there would be something pulling me home to spend time with the kids. There would be something that would make me want to take less risks. And that certainly seems to be the norm. And that's where people that have kids tend to fall out. So and even that, I see a lot of parents that are conflicted and they want to spend more time at work. And I see a lot of people at work wanting to spend more time with their kids. And I don't want to be in that skitched out place. And so that that would be my advice to you. Have kids, don't have kids, it really doesn't matter. Either choice is gonna be amazing, but whichever you choose, do it all the way. David Beer. Hi Tom from Down Under. Can you tell me who you studied or modeled when developing your speaking ability? I've been doing Toastmasters, but I'm looking for some other people or places to learn from. I actually didn't intentionally model myself after anyone. Wow, I've never thought about this. I can't believe that's true. Um, but when I was doing stand-up comedy, I will tell you that Robin Williams to me was just the end-all be-all. Um, and I think that definitely plays out, though I've never consciously done this as a speaker. Um, and when I'm on stage, if I'm honest, I am so divergent from Robin Williams that uh, this is going to be a terrible example. But one thing that I value, and if I trace it back, I'm sure I began to value it by watching Robin Williams, I value speed of delivery. So the ability to rapidly articulate an idea is very important to me. It's something that um, I judge myself on uh, and I try to give information as quickly as possible. Um, and that, just watching Robin Williams and how fast 
fast his mind worked. Uh, and wanting to train myself to be able to do that as a comic, I'm sure has fed into uh, what I do as a speaker. But on the other hand, I also try to modulate the speed of my performance so that you really can hit people on an emotional level. So at the end of the day, the, really, the only thing that I'm really trying to do is leave an emotional reaction with people so that they remember what I said, so hopefully that it has a really deep impact. So um, I'm sure that I've just taken and stolen left, right, and center from everyone you can imagine, um, from Tony Robbins to preachers that I've heard um, to storytellers, Steve Martin, like um, just amazing, amazing storytellers as well. So that's a terrible answer because I've never thought through that before, but there you have it. Some stream of consciousness. I hope you enjoyed. Jesse Davidson, what do you do when faced with abject and complete failure? By abject and complete, I mean that despite loads of practice, which obviously wasn't enough, you still failed and can't seem to get over the emotional ramifications of such a big failure. Okay, so there's a couple things in here. So first of all, what do I do when I'm dealing with um, abject failure? I have trained myself to look at failure as an opportunity to really feel pain that will force me to reflect so that I will get better. But I'm focusing on the will get better part. I believe that all of life is but practice. This is something that I repeat to myself over and over and over. So when I fail, I say, I'm not good at this yet. Or, hey, that was amazing practice. I'm so glad that I got a chance to do that, to go up and fail. And if I'm failing in real time and I realize it, then what I'm gonna try to do in those moments is I'm going to try to get myself out of it. So I'm gonna say, hey, this is an awesome time to practice. I'm totally messing up here. This is an awesome time to practice clawing back to zero and then building from there. And if you look at life as being just practice and never a performance, no matter what the outside world would say, oh my gosh, like this is your once in a lifetime chance. Never think of anything like that. Just think of it as an opportunity to practice when there's actually stakes. So it's like, cool, this is an opportunity for me to practice a high stress situation. This is amazing. I can't wait to go try. I can't wait to give it my all. I can't wait to practice. But I'm not thinking that, oh my God, this is it. My life comes down to this moment. Like you're definitely going to be worse. Then if I really do fall on my face, I'm unable to redeem myself. It is total abject failure. Like you said, at that moment, I remind myself that I can always get better. And if I'm willing to really look at why I failed and not use a psychological immune system to feel better about my failure, but rather just accept, whoa, I really messed up on that. And now what's the lesson that I can learn from this and how am I gonna grow more powerful because of it? Okay, so that's the first part. That's, that's what I do. Now, if I'm stuck in something, then I do something which is to remind myself that I live by a code. And I put that code in place because of moments just like this where otherwise your brain is going to loop and loop and loop around a problem and you are inevitably going to go backwards. So what I know is that if you are in this negative loop where you're beating yourself up, you can't believe you failed that badly, you're so embarrassed, and you just can't believe that the world has seen you fail, and despite how hard you tried, you still failed, you must be a failure. Then I rely on my code to remind me that thinking like that is not going to help. If it were, I would do it, but it's just not, and I have a belief that I only do and believe that which moves me towards my goals. So if thinking obsessively over how embarrassed I am or how much I failed or I, what this means for my future 
If I know that that's not gonna help me and that's not gonna move me towards my goals and I immediately, every time it comes up, I squash it. Nope, don't think about that. Stop thinking about it because it's not moving you towards your goals. I will think about anything else. A pink elephant, which is the thing my mom gave me. Thanks, mom. Uh, when I was a little kid, I still use this sometimes. When I was having nightmares, my mom would tell me to think of a pink elephant. Why? Because it was absurd and it forced me to really engage my imagination because I'd never seen a pink elephant before. So I had to completely imagine one, which took so much of my mental energy that I stopped thinking about said crazy thing. So even if you have to think about a pink elephant to break that cycle of looping around negativity, do it. Now, I highly recommend you use a gratitude practice or something like that instead, or to think about your dream and what you're trying to bring to the world, to focus on the outcome, the way that you wanna help and serve, because it gets a lot easier to fail publicly when you feel like, okay, that was a necessary step that I had to do to get extraordinary at this thing, which I think serves a lot of people, and that's the thing that I wanna bring. That's the value that I wanna create in this world. And I will make myself look like a total dumbass if I think that it will serve other people. And so that's been huge for me, is reminding myself that this is a life of service, that yes, I wanna do rad stuff for myself. I wanna do rad stuff for my family. But at the end of the day, I also wanna do rad stuff for the world at large. And so I'm willing to suffer those slings and arrows of embarrassing myself, of putting myself out there, of trying something, even if I practiced for decades and I fall on my face. I'm saying, cool, this is a step, this was practice, I needed to go through this to get better, I need that pain, that pain is super useful, and on top of that, I wanna serve. And so if this is what I have to go through in order to bring value, then I'll do it. So all of those things come to my aid in those moments to stop me from obsessing over that and dwelling in those emotions. So. Uh, part of that is cognitive behavioral therapy, where, like Daniel Amen says, you squish the ants, the automatic negative thoughts. So every time you're looping around this, you're going to stop yourself. So there it is. That's what I did. Vipin Tiagi. How do you stay focused and motivated on a long-term goal like building a business without really knowing whether it will succeed or not? I understand the principle of enjoying the process and detaching from outcome, but how do you battle that element of uncertainty? Thanks. So I love it when people steal the easy answer from me, so I really have to dig deep. So here we go. This is what I do. Yes, you're, you have to enjoy the process. That really is the biggest thing to deal with the reality that I try to live with, which is the struggle is guaranteed, the success is not. So I don't go into anything thinking, oh, this is actually going to play out for me. I go into it thinking, do I wanna be the best in the world at this? Knowing that just learning it doesn't mean I'll get successful, but it, it does mean that I'm gonna have to put in the time and the energy to become great at this thing. And then if you're really focused on that, you're focused on the process of getting great and you're focused on the process of asking, not how does getting this skill check off a tick box of success, but rather, how does it actually let me do something that I care about? And as long as the do something that you care about can happen on an, an infinitesimally small scale, like uh, taking somebody who's struggling out to lunch, or on a grand scale and doing what Tony Robbins is doing, which is feeding, Jesus, I think he's fed over like 100 million people at this point. So that number may not I'm almost certain it is over 100 million. It's crazy how many people he's fed. Um, so that to me is, is the only issue. Like how far does this scale? But that's the sort of grand level success that may or may not ever come. But you can absolutely do that small one-on-one -on -one thing that then hopefully you can scale. But while the scaling may be a question mark, that 
act of getting good at a skill that allows you to do something at least on a one-on-one -on -one small microcosm basis brings you fulfillment and gives you a life that's worth living that you value, then it really doesn't matter ultimately how far you're able to scale it. And the scaling becomes part of the fun of like, how far can I push this? But it isn't like, this is only fun if I'm able to get it all the way out there. So. I fall back on that reminder that the struggle is guaranteed, which is why the struggle has to be something that brings you fulfillment and value and is worth your time and energy, even if it never ultimately scales, which that level of success is not guaranteed. So um, that's entirely how I think about it. There isn't anything really beyond that. It's just making sure that the universe of things that I'm trying to do is sort of infinitely scalable, that it can go down to as simple as touching one life uh, with the content that I create. That's super important to me and I, I definitely want to do it at scale. I want to affect hundreds of millions, more than a billion, whatever, like just as massively as I can scale it. Uh, I'd love the interplanetary species. would be amazing. But at the end of the day, it can go down to just helping one person. I could help a kid with their homework, right? So it's like it scales all the way down to that and then all the way up to um, really touching lives at a global scale. So construct your life like that and you will find that nothing else really matters. All right, Steve Horton. What is your perspective on updating or refining your IT belief system bullet points over time? Have you ever considered adding to it or updating it to reflect the things that you have learned since you initially wrote it? Absolutely. I consider that a living document in no way, shape, or form is that something that will be unchanged. Um, in fact, it's probably already worth me going back in and updating it, um, and I just haven't yet because we've had other priorities, but 100,000% I want my thinking to update on a daily basis, uh, let alone a yearly or a lifetime basis. So yeah, that, that thing will inevitably change over time 100%. And I think everybody should be thinking of their belief system like that. You need to be updating it. You need to be taking real world evidence as to whether or not it's working, whether it could be better, hoping for new insights, hungering to see where you're wrong, trying to learn from everybody, sitting at people's feet with humility and an absolute desperate, desperate desire to go farther than you've gone today. So I know that my belief system has already taken me as far as it's gonna take me, and so I need to evolve it and push it and push my skill set and get wiser if I really wanna go as far as I wanna go. So um, yeah, that's a living document. Claudio Vasile. I'm at the beginning of my career of professional cycling. I would like to learn from you how you handle the difficulties in the beginning when you had no money or little money to start and to build up things in advance. Okay, so first of all, keep your life expenses as low as humanly possible. So that was the first thing that I did. I managed apartment complexes so that I wouldn't have to pay rent. Um, that was a huge deal. Now it sucked and I did not enjoy it, but it absolutely allowed me to keep my monthly bills really, really low. And because of that, then I was able to take risks and try things that other people might not have been willing to do. Um, so I highly encourage you, A, just to keep it down. B, focus right now on skill acquisition, on getting great, on not encumbering yourself with a bunch of things that don't help you. So if you wanna be a cyclist, going out drinking and partying with your friends just isn't the life that's gonna make sense. It's not gonna move you towards your goals. Um, so I'm a big believer in deferring um, your delaying gratification, don't know why I messed that up, uh, but yeah, never being afraid to delay gratification. In fact, being aggressive in delaying your gratification I think is huge, and the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment talks about how the number one thing that is correlated with future success is the ability to delay gratification. So um, focusing on that, 
keeping your monthly expenses down so that you can put as much time and energy into your cycling to getting extraordinary at, the be- at any time in your career. Quite frankly, that's what you should be obsessed with, obsessed with getting extraordinary. Uh, but especially at the beginning when you're really trying to make a name for yourself, nothing else matters. So make sure that you love it, make sure it's something that you enjoy 100% and then pour yourself into getting extraordinary and doing whatever you need to do to make sure that there are no distractions in your life. Anton Breakevelt. I want to change my life dramatically, but there is one major problem in my way, sleep problems. I cannot seem to empty my head before I go to bed because I keep thinking about the things I need to do or I'm stuck with. The result is that I rarely sleep, I'm tired all day and emotionally fragile and it's coming to a point where it's destroying my life. Do you have any tips so I can get back to the same person I was in terms of sleeping? Yes, Anton, this is an amazing question. Again, thank you so much for your vulnerability. Um, This is amazing. So here's what you're gonna wanna do. Start journaling every night before you go to bed. Write down everything that you're thinking of. Make a to-do list for the next day. Anything that you think that you're going to need to take care of, any mistakes, problems, everything, get it down. If you fuck something up, write it down. If you failed to do something, write it down. If you need to do something the next day, write it down. If something's bothering you, write it down. If you need to carve out an hour, two hours to do this journaling, do it. Get it all out on paper. There is some part of your brain that goes, okay, It's written down. I'm not gonna forget it. We're good. I don't have to loop around it endlessly to make sure that I remember. Journaling is gonna be huge for you. So make sure that you do that. Then, also, I should say, also during this process, make sure that you're wearing blue blocker glasses so that if you're on a phone or on a computer as you're journaling, that you're not getting the blue light. Uh, Make sure that you start dimming your lights, orange lights only, don't watch TV right before you go to bed. Um, All things to give your circadian rhythm the cues that it needs that you're gonna be winding down and going to sleep. Don't eat three hours prior to going to bed. That can also mess with your sleep and cause your brain to race. Um, Caffeine may be an issue. Make sure that you're cutting that out. Um, I usually stop stop drinking caffeine around 4 p.m. and I'm not affected by caffeine. So, um, but that's like a just-in-case measure. So I encourage you to do all that. Okay, so now you've done your journaling, you've done like the basic get good sleep things. And then the last thing is gonna be right before you go to bed, you're gonna meditate and you're gonna do a gratitude practice so that your mind is just primed for positivity. Now remember, your brain is gonna fuck with you, so in the beginning, this isn't gonna work. So you're gonna have to keep doing this. Not like night number one, you're gonna sleep like a baby. You're gonna be doing this for a month, two months, three months, four months, five months. I guarantee it will almost certainly start kicking in, I'm gonna guess around week three, By six months, you will be ninja level at this stuff and you're gonna be sleeping like a baby. And if you're not sleeping like a baby after doing all of that, then you may have some other um, thing that is disrupting it. But if it's completely based on thoughts and things like that, um, that I would suggest all those things. And then, by the way, I can't believe I forgot this. Start working out in the morning. Work yourself out hard. When you're so tired that your mind can't race, I think you'll find that you start sleeping And there's a difference between the chronic fatigue that comes from not sleeping and busting your ass in the gym. Um, So I would start doing all of those things and I pretty much guarantee, if I were a sleep expert, I'd be confident enough to say I guarantee, uh, but I pretty much guarantee this is gonna work for you. And then Sean Stevenson, the Model Health Show, he talks a lot about sleep. He wrote a book on sleep, it's amazing by the way. And we also interviewed him on health theory, so check that out, it was a great episode, talk all about sleep. All right, there it is, okay. Last question. Bor, Bor Panjerzik. Bor Panjerzik. I, I dig that. You previously talked about fake excitement and how that is a death trap. 
You also mentioned the other death trap where nothing feels exciting. So what would you say to someone trying to find and develop their passion while he doesn't get excited easily and never was into trying new stuff? Okay, so I'm gonna guess that the way that I was talking about fake excitement being a death trap was very specific. There was some contextual element. Because I think in the beginning, you have to practice embodying that excitement and it is gonna feel a little bit fake. So pursuing something that you don't actually care about and trying to fake enthusiasm around that as a way to get you through, that doesn't make any sense. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's what I was talking about. But taking something that legitimately interests you and really embodying that excitement and allowing yourself to be a little bit over the top about it, um, that will get the juices flowing and it will get you embodying that excitement and it will get your brain into a state where it goes, whoa, like we're really excited about this. This is kind of crazy. Um, and then that excitement will begin to magnify over time because you're constantly embodying that level of excitement. You're getting yourself hyped up about it. But again, it's based on something that's real and that's the real key. But if it's based on something that's real and you're embodying it and you're talking about how excited you are and you're feeding into that so that you're fanning those flames of excitement, like, yeah, I really did dig that. I really did like that. And then you focus on the things about about it that you really liked. You tell other people what those things were. You allow yourself to animate the excitement. I was gonna say you allow yourself to feel it, but you're saying you don't get excited very easily. So I will say that you're going to do things, the physiological hooks of excitement, you're going to smile, you're going to use your hands, you're gonna be animated, you're gonna modulate your voice, you're gonna talk a little bit louder, you're gonna talk a little bit faster. All things that will give your brain the cues that you're excited. So doing that and telling people and yourself that it is something that you're excited about will begin to reinforce that in your mind. Don't let yourself be a cynical asshole. That is something that I will say. And look, I fall prey to this just as much as anybody else and it gets very easy to be like, it wasn't really that cool, it wasn't really that exciting. And doing that is just re reinforcing that negative thing in your head which is gonna make you feel less excitable in the first place. So you have to set that cynical voice aside and really be a little bit childlike about it and be amped and be excited and relish things like, or not relish, but um, find, recognize things like a dog that gets really excited about something stupid as being awesome and amazing and want to be more like that. When you can look at a child that flips their wig over seeing like Minnie Mouse at Disneyland. If you can cultivate that as being a cool thing, a good thing, not a childish thing, not dismissing it, but like trying to refine that in yourself. Like what are things that you have even an inkling of something like that for? And how can you fan those flames? Um, that's one of the reasons that I wear, like today, this is so perfect. I'm wearing a shirt, Rad Racing. It was arguably my favorite movie growing up. And I like to remind myself of how much I loved that movie by wearing the shirt. This is the whole thing around geek culture and fandom. And I think in reinforcing that in yourself and allowing yourself to be childlike and enthusiastic and excited about something will feed into other areas of your life. And this comes down to like having a mission in life. A lot of people think that it's some lightning rod moment and that you just knew from the time that you were a child that you wanted to do X, Y, Z. But the reality is you just sort of pick a mission in life based off something that's real, something that you really are interested in, that you wanna pursue, that you wanna become great at. But at some point, it's really just a decision that you make. Oh, that's my thing. I'll give you an example. My mom just decided one day that she collected cow stuff because when she was a kid, she grew up on a farm and it was a beautiful time in her life and they always had cows and she treated them like pets and she loved them and so it became this symbol in her mind because she chose to make it a symbol in her mind of the things that are beautiful in her life. So 
She was telling herself that story about what cows meant to her. She started telling people that she collected cows and it started with like one simple bell and then it became this entire display case of cows. And again, it wasn't about the cows, it was about the story my mom told herself about what the cows meant. And so when you begin telling yourself a story like that about the thing that you're excited about, about that mission that is your life that you're gonna dedicate yourself to, when you're telling yourself that and you're associating it to something that is so real and innate in you, then the two really do become intertwined and then the cow really does begin to represent the beautiful things in your life. So you walk by the shelf, everybody else sees stuffed cows and cowbells and you see everything that's beautiful in your life. And it's a reminder of that thing that you've attached that meaning to. So that's my advice. And then just as a default, always be willing to try new things. Even if you don't feel like it, just as a default, I say yes, I go out and do things. Do it. Life will reward you. All right, guys, that's it. Thank you so much for joining me. If you haven't already, by the way, head to shop.impacttheory.com to get yourself signaling, speaking of t-shirts. Hopefully you will find something there amazing that will help you solidify your mindset, which is at the end of the day, my mission in life is to help you guys empower yourselves. That would be amazing, amazing, amazing. And then also, since you're listening to this on a podcast, if I may, if this has added any value to you, my ask is please go subscribe if you haven't already. And if you have already subscribed, rate and review on your podcast app of choice. All of that stuff helps more than you know. It helps us broaden our audience, which is, again, my mission is to touch as many lives as humanly possible, and I would be honored if you guys helped me do that. All right, so again, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, and until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Everybody, thank you so much for listening, and if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community, and that is what we are all about right now building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.